Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. All right. Well, today I am excited to have on the podcast Trina Davis. She is a licensed clinical social worker here in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, And we are going to be talking a little bit about the topics of code switching and cultural appropriation. So to begin, Trina, tell us a little bit about yourself and your clinical work. Okay. Well, I'm glad to be on here. Again, as my name is Trina Davis, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I've been licensed since 2013. I have been in the social work field since 1998. So it's been a long time. Uh, I specialize in trauma as well as depression and um, LGBTQ. That's good to know. Um, So to begin, let's start with a working definition of code switching. Uh, What does code switching mean in your own words? Code switching is pretty much changing your own voice, your tone, your pitch, uh, how you normally would speak to provide safety for someone in a different culture. I guess the question that comes to my mind um, is you kind of touched on how based on the color of your skin, you may need to code switch, right? Tell us, tell us why that's necessary. Why is code switching something that is second nature for us to do as people of color? I wouldn't say it's necessary. I think it's just been something we have adapted to just like we've adapted our hair. Um, instead of being natural self, we've adapted our hair to relax. We've adapted uh, certain things that we do as a culture. We don't um, tattoo ourselves because it's quote unquote, not the norm where we are tribal people tattoos in our, in our culture were symbolic to uh, struggle or symbolic to status where now we don't do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you look at Hampton University, they refused to accept uh, those who had dreadlocks, which is a part of our culture. Insane, yeah. And so we're code switching. We're pretty much whitewashing so mm-hmm. that we can, quote unquote, fit the norm. Mm-hmm. The, the situation with uh, dreadlocks, I've seen... There's been a lot in the media lately about that, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to exploring that a little bit further with you. I would just say not just in the media, our own military. Our own military was refusing uh, women of color the right to wear braids. Mm. Our hair texture is different from so many other um, people of color. So they result into cutting their hair off or because you have to have it pulled back into a certain bun to fit under your cap where there's certain things that we can't manipulate our hair um, like our counterparts. And so that was another way, you know, now they have signed the law. I believe it was last year. The crown to act. Accept and allow, yes. Thank you. Crown act um, to accept the ability to 
allow braids inside the military because uh, we don't wash our hair as black people. And the reason why we don't wash our hair as black people um, every day is because it all strips away from our hair. Mm -hmm. Right. And well, it's important to our hair. Um, And those things are horrible for a woman who has to cut off all her hair. You know, we are taught our hair is our crown and our glory. Definitely. And I think kind of to go back to the the thing about locks, too, um, I started locking my hair almost 10 months ago. um, And I've done like a lot of research to kind of understand the history behind it. And uh, of course, I have some thoughts on cultural appropriation within the lock community and stuff like that. But that's a whole conversation for another podcast. But I think kind of to piggyback off of what you said about the, you know, black women who wear their hair in braids, which is definitely an ethnic style, uh, culturally, um, to have to cut their braids off, or to, you know, for the sake of being in the military, or I've even heard of women um, being told not to wear braids to the job, that it doesn't look professional. Um, So there have been between braids and locks, which are um, pretty exclusive to uh, black culture, um, that those things are getting in the way of access to, you know, employment or opportunities. Um, And at least from my own perspective, granted, I haven't had my locks super long, but the amount of time, effort, money, and work that goes into locking your hair, or even for a woman Mm -hmm. to get her hair braided or anything like that. It's hours in the chair, hundreds of dollars, products, upkeep, all of that. And to, I, I assume for somebody in the military to have to cut their hair off, or you've seen the, the video clip of the, the young man that was uh, on the wrestling team, and they made him cut his locks yes. off in order to compete. Yeah, that's correct. I, I, I did see that. I can't imagine, the, that, that to me would be traumatic. Um, to have put all that work and effort, but also like to, for me, my hair is a connection to culture. Um, And it's also a personal journey, but to like have that chopped away, or like you said, whitewashed, uh, I imagine it's very traumatic. Can you speak on that? Um, I can only touch on it from my experience. Um, It broke my heart to see that young man having to cut his lock uh, which he loved to be able to wrestle and he did not want to forfeit the ability to wrestle. I just feel that there was more to that. I guess they felt was fine trying to find a rule to disqualify him, but yet still he cut his locks and he still won his match. Uh, and it was like I a five recall. second match too. He like immediately Very won. quickly. He could have won that match with his locks still underneath. It took more time to cut his locks than it did to um, win that match. Definitely. But it probably Um, took like 10 years for him to grow them. Correct. Um, There's also been, you know, young men not able to graduate because they have locks or they are not. They don't want them to come into um, private schools because they have locks or braids or some females 
and they're saying, oh, that's not your natural hair. Neither is pink, but you still see some students there with pink color, pink hair. Absolutely. Um, I can just um, relate a little bit um, in 1994, and I know that's been some years ago. Ooh, Lord, I'm getting old. Uh, when I was in a part of a summer program sponsored by the city of Richmond, we were told that if we were to engage in this summer employment program, that we could not wear braids. We could not wear braids and wow. we could not have color hair. And they never said the reason why other than it did not look professional. And the question is, well, well who determines what does, is professional? Because if you look at the president that we had last year, according to their standards, that was not professional. Um, so who determines this beauty? Who determines this um, standard of professionalism? And we could not, as young kids at that age, saying, oh, because you have braids, that's not professional. Braids can be professional. Uh, natural Absolutely. hair. I have, I have uh, several friends who are in corporate America, and they don't like to wear their natural hair out because their fear is, I won't be accepted. Well, you're not being accepted because you're not showing, showing your true self. Yeah, if you, you can't be genuine, you're not really being accepted. Version of yourself. So you, if you're, if you have to take off that wig, and underneath that wig is what your family and friends see is this natural hair. But when you go to work, you have to put on a mask and you have to put on this hat, which is a wig. Then you're not being accepted. Now I'm not saying anything's wrong with wigs. I wear wigs. I have tons of wigs. But I don't wear wigs for the purpose of being accepted. I wear them because I like them or if I like that different look or that different style. I don't wear wigs Definitely. to be accepted at work. I would straight rock my fro at work. I'll rock two plaits at work. I'll rock four plaits at work if I need to, if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Because I had to learn at the end of the day, I had to be comfortable with myself. Definitely. Either you have to be comfortable with yourself because my braids are not going to determine my braids would not say, okay, I'm going to forget that two plus two is four. Exactly. That doesn't say that I'm going to forget that. I mean, we can go back to slavery, right? The, right. The, the standards of beauty and um, kind of rating the value of people based on certain characteristics, such as their skin color or um different things like that. And then post-slavery, the there's of their nose, the mm -hmm. every, you know, their fullness of their lips. I mean, it's, it, as you know, if you, we often hear things of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, who is this Oracle that's making these standard changes that saying, okay, that's not pretty. And this is not pretty. Definitely. Who is this Oracle that's making these changes? Because, uh, they apparently, do not um, understand what beauty is. If it's in the eye of the beholder, let that beholder continue to define what they think is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a good point too, because if we're talking about natural, right? Like my hair, mm -hmm. the way it grows out of my head is afro. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've um, had afro my whole life. Uh, as when I was younger, I know I had, uh, I cut it, you know, even all the way around. Part of that has to do with being biracial and being raised by my, um, the white side of my family and them not understanding 
my hair. Um, mm-hmm. But as I got older and um, really as a young adult, I was in my 20s before I started like embracing letting my hair grow out and, you know, getting it cut um, into a style. And um, I remember I, I got here. I'm a licensed, you know, therapist, right? I had my own business and um, but I would get comments from like parents of clients because I work with a lot of teenagers. Um, and I, you know, if I would do something different, like if I got a haircut or if I would do something like, oh, that looks so much better. And I'm like, so my better than what my natural afro was, you know, and <laughs> I that would be my question. Better than what? Exactly. And it, it's it's a tough spot to be in as a business person, because, you know, you want to be genuine and true to yourself, but you also don't want to. It It's something that, that you have to kind of tread lightly in that sort of setting. Mm-hmm. But then I remember, too. Um, and I think you knew me back then. This is when I worked um, at the Ark, but uh, I tried locks back in the Ark of Hail. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> um, but I tried locks back in 2019. It would have been in the spring. Um, and when I got them, um, we won't call names, but the the manager, the boss, whoever you want to call. Uh, at that particular establishment that we worked at, um, basically made a comment of, when are you going to cut those ringlets out of your hair? Um, I don't know if I had shared that with you. Um, No, you never did, because you know I would have been all over that place. Yeah, (laughs) I had had some other colleagues there who uh, got mad as hell on my behalf. And it was definitely reported to HR. uh, An apology was given, but... um, even outside of that job, I, you know, I was in the beginning of opening my practice. um, And colleagues, like a a person that was one of my uh, clinical supervisors uh, for my residency, um, basically told me, I worry that doing that to your hair might not look professional. Um, And it at the time, it really weighed heavily on me. Plus my own, you know, I told you I'm biracial. So that the white side of my family um, also had comments about it. And I ended up washing them out after three weeks um, just because of all of the pressure. But this time around, like I said, I'm about 10 months in. I'm not changing it for anybody um, because it's important to me. So, well, and that's that was... all that matters. It's, it's important to you. It doesn't affect anyone else. It doesn't affect uh, your personality. It's just hair. And I mean, we can spend all day. Um, we can spend years and years on hair, mm-hmm. um, especially black hair. Uh, it's hair. It's dead protein. Yep. Uh, those things really uh, don't matter. Uh, it's it's interesting because I, I laugh often at a time of walking through TSA. The guy in front of me who was white, he goes and he gets um, screened and he has millions and millions and millions of piercings on in, on his face. Walks through no problem. I have braids in my hair and I set off the alarm. Wow. So I'm like, wait, what? And 
the TSA officer that um, checked me, she was like, you know, it does that to black people's hair. She said, I said, but he has like millions of the person who walked in front of me had, you know, all the piercings and everything. She said, it doesn't pick that up. So it's like, if it doesn't pick it up, then who's calibrating these um, machines? I've never heard of that before. Targeting. Mm-hmm. That's that's every time I go through TSA check screening, I get pulled for two things. If I have to go through the machine that goes around, I have TSA pre-check, and so I learned to tell them no, I don't have any metal in my body, despite I do have a hip replacement. So if I tell them I don't have any metal in my body, I can walk through the metal detector. If they are forcing me to go through the machine that goes around that scan, it picks up two things: my hair, if I have on braids. And my butt. Wow. So it does not pay to have a big butt and a smile to go through TSA. But from an ethnic standpoint, women of color tend to be endowed. Correct. And we are the most, that is correct. And we are the most ones who are pulled over to be screened and pat down. Mm -hmm. Which is a whole nother bag of problems. (laughs) Yes. So we're going back into code switching. Uh, I know for me, I tell my my um, my clients, when you come here, you be your original self. I need for you not to code switch. I need for you to also, if you need to take that wig off and set it next to you, do what you have to do. But I need for you to be your authentic self because that's who we're working on. I don't want to work on a representative. I don't want to work on what somebody else think you should be. I want to work on what you and what you want to work on. I, I, I think we can model that for our clients, too, especially in this digital age uh, where we're doing everything correct. over video. Um, mm-hmm. So, Like, I'll, I'll meet with a new client because, obviously, listeners, both of us are therapists. If I think that was clear. But we're both therapists. So, you know, we're seeing people virtually through telehealth. Uh, I know for me, when I get a new client that starts with online therapy, they may be like, you know, suited and booted for the first session. And I'm like, you don't have to, you know, there's like, oh, I didn't know how to dress or whatever. And they would do that. And when we had our offices in person, too. And Mm -hmm. I was just there in a, you know, t shirt and jeans and chucks, right. Um, Because at the beginning of owning my business, I thought business casual is what I had to do. That was a form of code Mm -hmm. switching. Um, And it was, you know, not even conscious, right? It was like, oh, you're a therapist, you dress business casual. And so I would tell my clients, you don't have to dress up to come here. And I'll tell them, you know, I have teenagers who come in in sweatpants and Crocs and, um, you know, you can wear whatever. And now that we're virtual, I I joke with my clients. I say, yeah, I have like a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, you know, but you just see my torso. I'm literally wearing basketball shorts um, because I'm at home. (laughs) Right. Um, right. And so I think we can model those things for our clients to let them know that or, you know, just in general, in any spaces, um, let people know, be that comfortable with who you are. Like there's no code or standard that we have to abide by as long as you're, you know, clean and groomed, obviously. Correct. And I would say groom because I always make sure, especially with my clients and I look at them and I was like, did you intentionally mean to have your hair like that? And it's like, no. Okay. So I can tell something is up, but, uh, 
I don't want to offend because that may be their hairstyle, their choice. So I just say, did you intentionally mean your hair had to be like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Keep it moving. And there's been, right. And there's been times where I was like, okay, let me find this wig because I got this client. I was like, why am I trying to find a wig? Let me go ahead and fluff out this hair real quick. My natural, which I will rock in the grocery store, which you would see me in the store, which you would see me out in public with. Mm -hmm. So why am I trying to put on this wig? I remember when I had my, um, I called it a frohawk because it went back into the hawk, but um, basically Mm -hmm. a high top fade, right? And um, when I, you know, again, we're talking about when we had physical offices uh, and stuff. I remember between sessions, I would, I had like a pick in my desk and I would like comb my hair and like pat it down evenly because I was afraid that like, you know, you like scratch your hair or something like that. It leaves a dent. And I don't know, it was all like conditioned. I never really consciously thought about it, but it was like, I have to appear professional and perfect, right? For each person that comes into the door. Um so can we say to say that when we say professional, it I, I, I keep hearing professional. So does that mean that we are p- appearing uh, white welcomed? And I, I, I guess I'm trying to find a word for it because there's so many ways to be professional. Mm-hmm. And when I'm you glad see we're a mechanic. Yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation about um, both. Um, code switching and cultural appropriation, because as this podcast is, you know, aimed at folks of color, um, it's something that we need to talk about. And I think for, you know, our non-melanated counterparts who are also listening to this show to understand the nuances that we go through, um, it's really important. So to answer your question, professional, if you think about it, as I'm sharing my examples of oh, I had an afro, or I tried locks, or um, I had my hair cut in a fade, or whatever. And the term professional, that came to me from working corporately at agencies, right? Having to, you know, wear a button up and, you know, all of this stuff. And here I am with my own place, you know, running or operating a business. And now, as we talk about this, I can see many examples of code switching, uh, so sometimes code switching right. is not conscious, like, ah, I need to code switch mm-hmm. because such and such is coming in today. Um, it's more so like what we're conditioned to throughout our lives, right? So I talked about mm-hmm. growing up with a white parent and not having um, the black experience from, you know, in the home setting. Um, and then you get comments. You have, um, you see it all the time where people will say, you know, a afro is nappy hair, or, or or another black person might say to another, "You have good hair, right?" Oh, I hate that. Oh my I, I, I actually had a Latin male tell me, "Oh, you have that black hair, you can comb." Yes, I, I just stood there for a second, was like, "What does that mean?" You have that black, like you can comb all black hair, can't you? Yes, you can. You just got to have the right comb. <laughs> Exactly, you know, and I just stood there and was like, oh, so he's just trying to see my textured hair. Okay, my textured hair is not, you know, what you're used to seeing, but okay. What What did this particular that. man's background ethnically look like? Just curious. Oh, he he was um 
I believe he was Mexican and Puerto Rican. Okay. And so it, I, I didn't want to assume it came from a white person, but... No, um, it did not. That's why I said Latin. Yes. And so a lot of, most of these things that we hear are often, you know, um, missteps from, you know, Caucasian people. But there is, um, I call it, it, I mean, the term is called colorism, right? So even within the black community, um, for example, Trina, you're darker skinned than I am. Um, Correct. And so there are times where the um, within the black community, um, they're either through advertisement or it goes back to slavery with, um, you know, lighter skinned slaves worked in the house, the dark skinned ones worked in the field and it's colorism. So it's a racism within a race. Um, so, uh, within the black community, there's, um, judgment and standards and, um, all sorts of nuances about being black and what the black experience is. Um, but then also between other minorities, right? Like there's racism between black people and Asian people or from Hispanic people to black people, right? Like, um, like the comment that you just said about, you have the black hair that can be combed. Um, right. That, that comes I from guess a that was his ignorance. version of saying good hair. You have that good hair. And I, I've heard it all my life, you know, as being a dark-skinned woman. Oh, you have, you, you know, you have long hair to be dark-skinned. What? Or, or you are pretty to be dark-skinned. And I was like, why is it negated by because of my tint of my skin? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't I just be pretty? Shouldn't I just, you know, I have a nice length of hair. Uh, and I'm not even talking about texture, but because we all have our own different texture hair. And truth be told, our textures change throughout the years. Sometimes the texture changes from the front of your head to the back of your head. <laughs> Sometimes it just leaves all together. It, it permanently vacates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I but, think all of us have had those moments where, you know, not just... Uh, towards us, but we've all had moments in time where we have kind of perpetuated that. Uh, I wrote an article recently, um, I think it's like titled, What is Colorism? I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, But in that article, I shared an example of um, how I think I was was at an agency. I think it was an agency I worked at right before I opened my own practice. But... um, Minding, you know, keeping in mind that I grew up in, you know, with the white side of my family, and also there was a lot of racism that I didn't realize until later, um, and messages about, you know, y- you have to be more white than you are black, and et cetera, right? And so I remember right. there was a um, one of my coworkers, and I think it was after a staff meeting, and they were just talking about... Um, you know, hair, like all of the different hair types were represented. We had people with locks, we had people with the shaved head, we had people with fades, I had my afro, like we all, there was all different, it was a black counseling agency, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I, out of ignorance, and this is, I, you know, am transparent in saying that at that moment, I was being colorist or prejudiced, right? So I said to mm-hmm. one of the coworkers, um, you know, joining the conversation, she was talking about her hair and almost like complaining about it, like, ah, my hair doesn't do this or whatever. And I, 
I thought I was giving a compliment. I said, you have really nice hair for a black girl. And Ooh, you no, could have no, heard, no, no, I know, no. right? You could have heard. You didn't get jumped that day? You didn't get beat up? I did oh. not. They were gracious with me. But um, you could have heard a pin drop in the room. And I knew that I had fucked up. I was like, oh, shit. I just stepped in it. Um, and yeah, they were gracious with me. That you did. Yes. And so they were gracious in stopping and correcting me. They said, told me, you know, we as black people, because mind you, we were all black um, working there. We can't Mm -hmm. be perpetuating what the non, you know, our counterparts already say about us because we have to, we have to defy that. Um, And so they, you know, they were like, there's no good or bad hair. There's no right or wrong. There's no good hair for being a black, you know, and obviously I wasn't thinking that, you know, I, I didn't believe that certain black people are inferior to others or whatever. But my simple statement that I started out thinking was a compliment because she was kind of lamenting about the difficulty she was having with her natural hair. I was trying to say you have really good hair for a black person. But in saying that I was being colorist, right, as a biracial light skinned black person talking to a dark skinned black woman it was inappropriate so um all of those are examples of kind of these pitfalls that we have between code switching and um just kind of how we treat each other i think we we get so far away from the common humanity that we all have correct okay. and i think it's it's it becomes a deconditioning phase um where we're learning and we're trying. For so many years, we were conditioned to hate ourselves. And right now, we're coming back into that that Black love, that Black is beautiful. You mm-hmm. know, you've had back in, you know, going even back when I always said, you know, the Nation of Islam was great for us because they highlighted, oh, we're beautiful people. And, you know, the Black Panthers, it was like, oh, this is just beautiful just strip away everything that you thought was the norm and that's just where it's all black and what do you see you see these beautiful people natural hair froze mm-hmm. uh you um with the nation you know covering up um the black woman you saw these beautiful defined features these i mean these men put them in suits and they look just like anybody else but it was just something so much more powerful uh we as a people, when I say we as a people, I'm talking about um, the black um, race, that we are forgiving more than any culture ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess because we've dealt with so much in so many years that just like you said, you know, you made that comment. It was like, okay. And I always joke, said, you get beat up. But when <laughs> I say that, it's more so you didn't get beat up. I'm pretty sure I heard Tyler screech in the moment. <laughs> It's like, okay, we're going to have to educate him at this moment. But that one time after we educate you and you do this again, okay. Then it's going to be a problem. It would be a severe problem. Mm -hmm. And we have the culture, we understand. um, People say, well, we don't throw our people away. Well, it comes to the point where we all had to switch and become families. When we were separated and um, pulled apart, 
it was like, okay, this person no longer has a family. We understand the family unit is the most powerful unit ever. So we're not just going to leave someone out. We're not going to cast them out. We pull them in because they can only be better for ourselves versus an enemy. Mm-hmm. So we are the most forgiving and loving people of all times, but we have been conditioned at some point to not like our features or to try to manipulate ourselves to fit in. And that's that code switching, and especially when it comes to our tone, uh, especially when it comes to how we speak. You know, people had a problem with Ebonics back in the 90s. It's like, yep. okay, that, that's not a real thing. It is a real thing. It truly is a you real You get in thing. trouble in school and if I, you use it. Oh, yes, you did. But now, if you look at the Webster's Dictionary from 1990s to now, that dictionary has so many other definitions that we are all often manipulating languages. Um, just Bill Bojangles himself, he invented the word copacetic. That word was mm-hmm. not a used word. He utilized it so much and made it his own that it ended up in the dictionary. This is how English language is the hardest language because we change it so much. We are a melting pot, but that's the thing. We are a melting pot of culture, but we don't, we're not a melting pot of an of acceptance. That's that's profound. Say that one more time for the folks in the back. <laughs> All right, people in the back who won't listen and was ready to go um, home to get their chicken. We in America, we are a melting pot of culture, but not melting pot of acceptance. Mm, I'm jotting that down right now. And that's why we have issues with cultural appropriation. We'll take your culture, but we ain't going to accept you as a person. Hmm. We're going to take your braids, but we ain't going to accept. Oh, we gonna, you, oh them, that big butt is in smile inside this year. So, okay, it's all because of Jennifer Lopez. No, uh, black women have had these real ends for mm-hmm. all our lives. Oh, those braids are in style. Oh, it's because of both. No, we've had braids all our lives. Yep. And that's, that's a, I mean, we're going to get into the specific appropriation thing in just a second. Mm-hmm. But I love how this uh, conversation kind of veered and we just went with it. Um, mm-hmm. And I love talking with you, Trina, because we don't we don't follow a script. <laughs> um, so one we more, don't. it's okay, I, I'm truly enjoying this. And I think these are the conversations that um, resonate the best with people versus a simple question and answer. So what are have you noticed any mental health impacts of code switching? Yes. Code switching is stressful. It's very stressful on the person because it takes a lot to be other than yourself. That can cause a lot of anxiety. Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to say the right thing? You know, uh, if I... Am I going to be triggered if I see someone at work that I know from back in the day, you know, I can't say the same thing that I say to, you know, I'm just going to say Stan versus, you know, I can't say the same thing to Daquan. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say the same thing, but I have to switch how I say it. And it becomes stressful. It comes, you know, um, depressing. And then you start questioning your own identity and your own beliefs. And I think there's this new terminology of what is it, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I, I, I 
I guess that's the new word for low self-esteem. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Same thing, just different words. I, I, I figured out. I was like, imposter. I was like, okay. So it becomes so much that you're like, okay, I have stress at home. I have stress at work. But the true matter is, is that you just have a stress within yourself. And I call it, um, and it has been said before, an internal jihad. And mm. I know people like when they think of jihad, they're thinking, oh, the terrorists, this is a terrorist concept. No, but a jihad is a war. Mm-hmm. And a war is not uh, just from Muslims. A war can be within yourself. You are fighting internally who you are with the world outside. So you're having an internal jihad. Mm-hmm. I just posted on Instagram, I think it was yesterday, the quote, um, sadness is often just anger turned inward. Right. You're angry that you can't be accepted. You're angry that you can't say what you want to say. Uh, Fear of not I being good enough. all my life. Right. Mm-hmm. I, went, I worked at um, Social Security one time and I was talking to this lady on the telephone and she said to me, she said, you know, they don't understand uh, you know, people like us don't understand black men. And I was like, people like us. And she never saw me on the phone. She never heard me and met me in person. And she said, us white women. Oh, wow. And I didn't say anything. I just let her continue to think that I was a white woman on the telephone talking to her. Oh, that's heartbreaking I, to I hear. hung up. I... I asked my coworker and he said, yes, he said, I can hear you sometimes and you sound totally like a white woman. And so myself was like, no, I don't. I don't think that's true. You sound like Trina Davis. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I dealt with that as a child too, because being, you know, biracial um, and it always confused me. Even to this day, um, people would say, you know, they see my brown skin, but they know they've seen my white mom, right? And they're like, well, you talk white. You're black on the outside, but white on the inside. I was called Oreo. Um, oh, and, been there too. Yeah. And it was so confusing. And as a child, I mean, you are you just want to be below the, you know, fly below the radar, not, you know, cause any trouble and all of that. So the natural instinct is to just, you know, comply Um, but I think for me in my adulthood, a lot of embracing who I am is uncovering what was repressed in childhood, like embracing, you know, the fact that I am, you know, literally half African, um, and, um, you know, that my hair is special, right? Um, and that, Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to repress certain parts of myself for the comfort of other people. Um, but that, oof, for someone, and I think that shows the ignorance and also the, I mean, we can go into politics, which we won't, but the climate that <laughs> our previous presidential administration created was people got really fucking bold about what came out of their mouth. It used to be you would watch what you said, and then it was like, we're just saying all of the reckless shit. Um, like we've been holding back. Yeah. And like for the fact that someone felt comfortable enough to say that like, oh, well, people like us, 
don't understand, you know, black men. That, ooh, I have all of the feels about that. Whew. And I'm just hearing it as a secondhand story. I can't imagine what you went through. Well, again, I was working and she didn't quite understand. I mean, I've I've heard it from different angles. I've even heard from, you know, I was just sitting at a bar and a white guy would say, you know, I'm going to have to deal with half the stuff you do because you're a black woman. I mean, it is actually true. He knew it was true. And he said, I don't have to deal with half of the stuff that you do. He said, I can get away with a lot. And he know it's true. At least having that awareness is half the battle because most of our struggle <laughs> is dealing with the the white privilege or the entitlement that of people who they'll scream real quick, I'm not racist, but they don't have the understanding but, that our existence is exponentially more difficult in this country on a day-to-day basis. That you, is correct. We, we, we deal with more... Um, we deal with a lot within our own because we're still struggling to find that um, cohesiveness and getting back to our um, our own culture. We're struggling with identity culturally um, because we so much has been taken away from us. And a lot of people want to say, well, slavery was so many years ago. But the conditioning, everything that has been done, although it was years ago, it takes more years to recondition someone. And then you have to recondition all those who as well. Because you just can't say, okay, well, we transformed this one. Everything's fine. No, that's that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. It's a total group. Yes. I'm currently reading, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the book. It's called... um, post-traumatic slave syndrome by joy degray i've heard of that yes i'll lend it to you once i'm done um but it's um it's basically talking about that it's written for you know not necessarily only for black readers but it's a kind of permission to begin to heal and understanding that Mm -hmm. a lot of what we deal with is outside of our control. Um, And to understand that in order to work backwards from systemic racism and things like that, we have to, people need to acknowledge where we came from. Um, And that's, that's the, I think the biggest part of the conversation is the, you know, the white folks who will be very quick to say, I'm not racist, but then not really acknowledge that. Like the man said, I don't have to deal with half as much as you do because you're a black woman. And for any conversation or for any environment to truly be anti-racist, we have to acknowledge privilege. We have to acknowledge systems um, and all of that. And it's not a, it's not something that will be done in a lifetime. This is generational work. And that's only if everyone gets on board. Um, So we got a lot of work to do. Well, transitioning into the part about um because we've kind of touched on cultural appropriation but let's get more specific so as a black woman provide us with your definition of what cultural appropriation is oh you're gonna put that that struggle on me okay (laughs) (laughs) we've already gone deep in this episode we might as well keep going I, i i understand we are we are in too deep of it Cultural appropriation is pretty much consuming another cultural 
specific identity, um, you know, their um, their culture, uh, things that are specific to them and taking advantage of it. And it's often uh, those who are more empowered doing it. Um, so I pretty much did say, you know, it's about accepting, taking the culture, but not accepting the person and try to make it your own and not understanding everything in the context behind it. And it's usually for profit. Um, normally for profit. Uh, I, I, I hope we don't get too based off some of the stuff that I'm about to say. I think maybe 15 people listen to this podcast each week. So we're good. I'll- well, you know, it could always be 15, and next thing we know, it's 15 million of us sitting in court trying to figure out how we're going to take our little $3 and um, pay this company back. But uh, <laughs> so I want to say I touched on braids. You know, we did the braid situation. Uh, now we're seeing, uh, you know, those who are not of color wearing afros, mm-hmm. uh, those who are not of color wearing locks. Do- Wearing locks and Ooh, taking the what is uh, the shikis. Oh my gosh! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Did I trigger you? Did I trigger you, my brother? I'm tri- like I'm triggered every time because obviously I'm locking my hair, and this this is a great example of cultural appropriation, right? Um, so braids mm-hmm. and. Um, let's just stick with braids and locks, right? Those are the two things that we know most about. Um, these are things that are uniquely black. These are these are our things. It's not as a we have this and you're excluded from it, but it's a this is ours because it has history and it has meaning to us for our identity. Um, so to kind of right. um, expand your definition of cultural appropriation, cultural appropriation is taking something from another culture, basically not giving it credit, um, a lot of times saying that it's your own um, and often profiting from it. And this sounds very similar to the term of code switching, but for the listeners Mm -hmm. so that we don't get confused on terms, code switching is when a person changes their presentation of who they are to make other people feel comfortable. Right. Cultural cultural appropriation appropriation is when something, yes, it's when something's being taken away from a culture. And I would say this. I know there have been a couple of um, people, not people of color, when they come to me and they try to speak and they change their vernacular. And I'm just sitting there looking at them as like, no. Um, I've had a police. I was like, oh, you my homegirl. What's up, homegirl? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that is so inappropriate. I don't know who you who taught you that. Mm. That's not going to happen. And then they look at me and I look back at them like, no, do not do that. Definitely. You thought, like, and and in other words, the kids said, you tried it, boo. You tried it. And it's just like, okay, so you figure that you, if you have this type of, I guess they tried to code switch back and making me feel comfortable, that it made me feel very uncomfortable because I feel like you're blocking. Definitely. Um. A lot of things that I see that's cultural appropriation is, you know, um, now everybody wants these big butts. Everybody wants these full lips. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Right. High cheekbones. 
And I, I I had to write a letter to myself therapeutically because um, growing up, I felt those things, and these are things that I have as a black woman, and I just felt I was just so ugly. And I had issues with them, and my mom would often tell me, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And I thought, you know, now that I was a parent, you know, the worst thing that you could ever feel is seeing your child struggle with their own identity. And everybody was like, well, your parents are the ones to always tell you that you're beautiful. Well, some people, you know, and I had to write a letter, you know, explaining why I felt the way I felt. And then despite her efforts of telling me that I was beautiful, now that I'm seeing like, okay, so all along, you all were hating what my mom was telling me to love. And I just couldn't imagine how that felt as a mother at the time. And now I have my own child and I, you know, who Mm -hmm. sometimes struggles with his own acceptance. It's like, you know, it's a generational thing. Right. And even to hear like big time celebrities like Beyonce, she often says that she struggles and sometimes she doesn't feel beautiful. And I think that that's the that's the theme of that book I was telling you about. It talks about how it's a field of study called epigenetics, where they're finding support that basically trauma is ingrained into our DNA and passed down. Um, It is. And so, you know, take, for example, um, uh, there is, let's say within the, the black community, a lot of times there's a tendency to um, put their child down, right? Um, or, mm-hmm. um, and I know one of the examples they give in the book is like, um, you know, black parents are seen as being very strict, right? Well, um, mm-hmm. and if we look genetically and historically, if you're problematic as a a, a black child in slave times, you would be in danger, right? Um, right? Also, being taught not to stand out because if you know, master sees, oh, your your uh, boy, he's he's growing up nice and tall and he's healthy. The mom is going to protect her child and say, oh no, he he's lazy. He's you know because she doesn't want him to be sold off and taken away from her. Um, and right. so genetically speaking, that's passed down. Um, and because of the trauma of slavery, we don't really know how to love ourselves. We have to learn that, um, mm-hmm. despite what's ingrained in our DNA and the culture that right. we still live in that's remnants of all of the, um, the aftermath of slavery. And I, I want to just get on to something really quickly. And I, I have to uh, just, you know, one of the football teams uh, recently changed their name because the mascot is offensive. Now, you know, I love football. Mm-hmm. And it was said, okay, this is offensive to, you know, so, you know, to those people that we are identifying as. And so many people, and even people of color, were like, well, why we got to change the name? Why we got to change the name? Ain't nothing wrong with the name. Well, it's saying that it's being offensive to one culture. And I I tried to explain it to someone that I work with. It's like, you know, I'm no longer going to keep any items 
around that someone said they're offended by. Because how can I, as a black woman, you know, try to kick down the door of equality and then as soon as I get one foot in, put, slam it in the face of someone else? Absolutely. And I know exactly so the they, team you're talking about because you rep hard. I'm sure everybody knows <laughs> the team that I'm talking about. But it's so disheartening. And then their person was responsible, like, well, I've been a fan for years. Well, so have I. I've been a fan since 1985. But it's been offensive and, for years I, as well. It is, and it's it hurting correct. people for years. And it hurts badly. And I remember the time I, my, my life was made for a book, I mean, for a movie. I remember the time we need I was to get working on your dentist. memoir, though. Yes, I was at a dentist's office. And when I go to the dentist, I normally put my earbuds in so I don't hear any drilling or anything. And that's a good idea. They were talking about uh, counseling people, especially sexual predators. And the dentist said out of his mouth, I guess he didn't think I heard him, was, well, back in the day, it was okay to call people the N word. Oh, wow. And the hygienist, she just was shocked and she looked at me. I didn't say anything. I was like, just finish the work and I'm out. I wrote a letter to the board of dentistry because I was highly in to him. Let him know I heard what he said. And I was not going to come back. And it was hurtful. Mm -hmm. So just imagine a whole team profiting off of a racist name. And as a, as a group of people that are saying, we're offended by this. That's a big cultural appropriation with some, you know, some racist tones. Absolutely. But you're, you're using you're the likeness of someone's culture for profit. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a mascot, which is, you know, anything that's a mascot is not supposed to be... Um, it's supposed to be for fun. It's supposed to be like a a, a facade, right? If your mascot right. and the thing that you're representing is steeped in offensive tones, it, it it it's the logo is of a Native American, you know, head and feathers and all of that. Like th- that should not be something that is representing a sport. Um, because Correct. It's... I don't think mascots should represent a person or people. I know one of the um, requests is like, okay, let's call them red tails in honor of the um, red tails in the military. And I'm like, please don't. Mm-mm. Please don't. Because the thing is, you're not going to educate yourself. There are going to be some fans that's being very disrespectful. And I, the person who I had the conversation with was like, well, that, that way we can educate. Well, we've been educating people for years, and it hasn't worked. They've been talking so about, about the name of that football team since I was a young child. I remember it. Right. So let's, let's, do, let's do an animal. Let's do something. They don't get offended. <laughs> right. Animals are like, okay, whatever. Uh, let's do something that is totally different. But to have those words and then to have our own people say, well, I've been a fan for years, but we've been hurting people for years. And sometimes it's time to stop. Yeah. And the the thing about, like you said earlier in this interview, for marginalized people, we're also the most like forgiving, 
I think he said mm-hmm. something along those lines. Like, we know what it's like to to have someone, you know, put their foot in their mouth, right? And I shared right. about an example mm-hmm. where I messed up. Um, and so we've all been there, but we've also had hurtful things happen to us, I think. Um, and really in any walk of life, you don't necessarily have to be a marginalized or person of color or anything like that. We've all been in situations where a mistake was made sometimes for a long time. And then we realize this is wrong and we can correct. That's part of humanity is being able to, I mean, the whole experience of humanity is to, uh, be on a constant path of self actualization, self improvement, self awareness. Um, so people who are like, I've been, they feel entitled to, oh, well, I've been doing this for years. I've been, well, people were owning slaves for years before we realized, or before they realized that, hey, maybe we should stop this. Um, And truth be told, people are still owning slaves. We just call them different names. mm -hmm. Housekeepers. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just switched. It, it switched to uh, oftentimes it's um, Hispanic folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, and also others of different um, countries um, coming from different countries, um, not just black um, Latinos, but there's some Africans who are also stuck, and you're paying them pennies. It's like, oh well, we give them room and board, but if you fire them, where are they going to go? Because you're only paying them what a hundred dollars a week. Mm-hmm. There's, it's just anything with a power differential. It's it's problematic. So, correct. Um, these are these are great examples. Um, tra- like sad. It's sad that we have to be talking about this, but I think you know we have to talk about it for there to be change too. So, I guess my last question is going to be, obviously, cultural appropriation and um, code switching are problematic. Right. In your opinion, in your thoughts, what would you what would you say that we can do about this? Where do we go from here? I think we need to continually to educate appropriately. Uh, we need to continue to all strive to be better people. Uh, you know, un- unfortunately, the United States has that melting pot where there's so many different cultures and so many um, diverse people that comes in. And some things we do, um, cultures merge. But that doesn't mean you just take on someone's culture and make it your own and sell it. Uh, I think becoming acceptant of people is one, and our differences. We're not all meant to be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, we'll end up looking like those Ed- Edward Scissorhand um, houses. Uh, we we just need to be mindful. I think mindful that's before my be, time. <laughs> and be willing to educate and not get offended so quickly, but, you know, have that spirit of, do you mind if I share something with you? I think getting offended is, that's that's human nature right? Because it's perceived Mm -hmm. as a threat. So getting offended is not a problem, but it's taking that extra second and then stepping back from it and then coming back in. Hey, let me explain something to you. Um, 
which is a whole thing in and of itself because people of color tend to have the, um, uh, what do we call it, handicap of being assumed as aggressive before we even open our mouth. Correct. So, but again, conversation for a whole nother day. Um, But (laughs) I think understanding, educating, um, those are those are great things. And I think to expand, you know, to add to that, like with the, with the code switching and stuff, we can start with ourselves, right? Uh, to stop code That's switching. Um, we definitely can start with ourselves and the code switch. And first to accept that who we are to, to understand that if the person who is not accepting who we are, it's their problem, not mm-hmm. ours. And, and just, just love on yourselves and teach your children to love on themselves, to accept everything that comes with them, to accept their beauty of how they are developed. If we're going to truly say we are all the image of God and we're all beautiful and we've been made in his likeness of image, then he didn't make anything ugly. He just made it different. Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, there we, we would be... Um, Foolish not to, you know, warn too. Like when you start um, choosing not to code switch, or when you start choosing to call someone out on racism, or calling someone out on cultural appropriation, right? It's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and it's challenging, and also it may have consequences um, because we do have power uh, dynamics at play, right? There could be consequences to speaking your truth. Um, Correct. And it's scary. But the reason those things, those consequences are in place is to protect the status quo and to keep the majority comfortable. So in order for us to be our true authentic selves, we have to have those conversations, put ourselves in the uncomfortable uh, position, because for us to create a world where our children don't have to quite deal with the same, you know, hurdles that we do now. We have to stop it where it's at. And we also have to go from within, right? So the code switching, uh, I shared about how when I first opened my practice, I, you know, button up khakis, you know, Sperry's and all of that. And then I, at some point I was like, well, wait a second. I, I own my own business. I want to wear jeans and a t-shirt and chucks. Um, and then even, I know from my, from my perspective, like, um, I use profanity when I talk, right? Um, and so... So do I, cursing is allowed. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, I've, I've, um, in the beginning I was like, oh, I have to talk a certain way, right? Well, now, usually when I get a, a, um, at the initial call from a potential client, I'm mm-hmm. gotten so like comfortable. I mean, working virtually to disintegrated any fragments of a filter I had left, but um, I usually drop some sort of curse word in the initial consult, and then rather than say "Oh, my apologies" or "Pardon my French" or anything like that that we would normally say to excuse being our genuine selves, I usually just tell mm-hmm. the person, "By the way, I cuss. Hope that's okay." You know, instead of saying, I'm sorry for using, because this is who I am, right? And usually the client is like, oh, good, thank you, because I like to cuss too. And then right there, it makes them feel comfortable being who they are. Um, 
And right, you you have to be comfortable to help someone, and they have to be comfortable to receive it as well. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with utilizing profanity, um, especially if it's you know to expression yourself. It can be people therapeutic. People often say, "Well, it is very therapeutic." When people say, "Oh, those who use profanity have limited vocabulary," mm. I'm like, "Do you know how well that makes me feel?" Because sometimes I'm upset. It's not the same as that motherfucker got me confused. Mm-hmm. There's a difference in that. You know, you can feel that. Oh, okay, I can so I can respond to something you? with you got me <laughs> fucked up. But at the same time, let's not forget that I have two degrees. Right. That I, I hold a professional license and that I'm good at my correct. job. It doesn't. Just like the hair that I wear, the way I wear my hair, if it's poofy, if it's locked, if it's braided, no matter what it is, it does not determine what's inside. It's just an aspect of who I am. It does not. And I will quickly say, my vocabulary is extensive. However, I don't have time for you to Google each word I'm about to drop on you. So therefore, I'm using the the, um, shortened version. Mm -hmm. The shit is wrong. (laughs) So there is nothing wrong with um, profanity. I think people have gotten away with understanding that expressing their feelings is okay. And also that certain words, if you cringe with the utilization of profanity, if that's not your thing, that's not your thing. Um, You have to determine and take that to your altar. That is not my problem. But Um, also, too, I think in... in very few cases, but in some cases, I can pick up like, oh, this particular person is, you know, because you don't want to hurt somebody by, like, right. if your being yourself makes someone else uncomfortable. I mean, as therapists, we know how to pick up on that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, we can't change, you know, it's like that give and take, like, I can adjust myself and be flexible to a certain extent out of empathy and kindness towards you. But if I have to extremely do it, to the point where I'm hurting so that you can be more comfortable, that's the problem. That is the problem. You should never have to feel uncomfortable in a situation. And if it becomes that to that point, then there's something that you need to address. And again, it comes to that you need to come, you both need to take a moment to say, okay, I'm offended. This is the reason why I'm offended. I want to maintain this relationship, but if we can't, we have to move on. Definitely. So Trina, I feel like every episode I do of this podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, it gets better and better the the more I do this. But (laughs) this conversation was deep and it was needed. I, it invigorated some things in me to be aware of. Um, I think that the listeners are really going to get a lot from this, um, and, you know, my, my podcast is called Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. But I've actually gotten feedback from, you know, white people who have listened and they're, they're learning so much from these conversations. So I cannot wait for it to um, uh, go up and to just see, you know, the impact that these conversations can have. But before we wrap up, Trina... I want to give you the Mm -hmm. floor um, to just share a little bit about like how people, you know, we're in the Richmond area, but um, share -hmm. a little bit about some of the the stuff you have going on. Because you're not only a therapist, you've got your nonprofit, you've got your uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. So this is like the floor for you to share your socials, your contact information, 
And um, obviously, I'll include any links, websites, and all of that in the show notes. But self-promote. I'm I'm giving you that, uh, that moment. All right. Thank you for giving me the floor. Where I am, a, a licensed clinical um, social worker, and I do provide therapy. Um, my name of my agency is Notoriety Counseling Services. I provide therapy not just in Virginia, but in Maryland and in Tennessee. I do it um, virtually. I also have a nonprofit, and my nonprofit is supporting um, survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Uh, the nonprofit is called the Chrysalis Society Foundation, and that website is www.thechrysalissocietyfoundation.org. And my, my agency's um, website is www.notoriety, N-O-T-O-R-I-E-T-Y, L-L-C.com. So those two websites, if you have any more in addition information, definitely go to those. And uh, you can follow me on Facebook as far as the um, both at Notoriety LLC and at um, the Chrysalis Society. They're both on Facebook as well. And we have a workshop coming up July 17th. If you want to save that date, we're going to do an adult um, field day, pretty much relay race. That sounds really fun. Um, <laughs> just bringing out that big kid in you that's been wanting to come out all quarantine long and just having fun. The pros and then afterwards we we're going to have a workshop pretty much an hour long workshop because I know people have things to do just kind of discussing whole health and informing people about domestic violence and sexual assault. And it's not just adults who do, um, go through this. There's teenagers who go through this as well all the way up and it's just not mm-hmm. female. So we want everyone to come out, participate. You can grab your teams, grab your whole entire family. Your family can be your team. And just come out. The, the proceeds go to the nonprofit to continue to assist those who have been um, affected by domestic violence and sexual assault. That's fantastic. And please send me the link um, to that event because I want to throw that in the do. show notes because I want to sign up for that. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right. Um, and by then, everyone should be vaccinated and we can have a great time. So. That is awesome. Of course, of course. Trina, as always, it is a pleasure talking with you. I um, this, this conversation has been very powerful just in having it. Um, I can't imagine the impact it's going to have, but I appreciate your time. Um, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate being invited. And I... I didn't know it was going to go this long, but hey, when you're enjoying the conversation, keep it going. Definitely. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.